Welcome to Writer's Radio. I'm Carol Harmon, your host for this episode, Paley, A Ghost Story. Part two of a memorial series featuring the work of John White, 1941 to 1992. Part one focused on John's history and life in Banff. Paley is an epic poem about the death by avalanche of a brilliant young mathematician on April 7, 1933, near Skokie in the Canadian Rockies. When I was planning this series with John's friend and colleague Brian Patton, we agreed that we hoped to find a recording of John reading his own work, to hear his voice once again, but also because he was a masterful reader. The John White Fawns in the White Museum of the Canadian Rockies in Banff contain a number of recordings of John's work. Most of them are performances recorded at the Banff Centre or by CBC and feature actors. Paley was the only piece read by John we could find, but what a find it was. It is an incomplete recording missing the introductory paragraph about Paley and also missing the ending. I have taken the liberty of reading these missing sections to complete the poem. Raymond Edward Allen Christopher Paley died April 7, 1933, in an avalanche near Skokie in the Canadian Rockies. At 26 years, he was, in his peers' estimation, the most brilliant young mathematician of his era. The poem takes liberties. The monologist is a fiction. But I have held to most of the facts. It is dedicated to my uncle, Peter White of Banff, who was to me an early encouragement and is a fond memory. J.W. As a dying dog knows, he knew his death impended, could not be helped but hastened. Hence he hurried in the whiteness across a snow slab in these snow-duned deserts, in this land of shadow and brilliance, aslant the slab snow, the under-snow dusting and tautening in tension the surface toward the brink of breaking overextended the snowfield stretching tight to the line between white land, eye-dazzling, bright sky in blueness, and the great grayness of the mountain, and the snapping, whip-lashing, breaking, falling, gathering all in the collapsing, billowing him under, surrounding the body, and the silence imminent that ice is prisoner of, and the quiet after the embrace in avalanche. Of snow, snow, snow. It's no use. Do you think I can recount the why and the how of it, 
why he came here or what I am attempting to tell you. It's enough you have asked, and I shall attempt to answer simply as simply as I can. I've heard the other stories, the recapitulated crap, and none of them is the story. Last year, the year before, ten years ago, they don't vary very much. Same old spook and specter stuff. Fresh powder lying a foot deep on Boulder Pass and a party. At Easter, it doesn't matter. Headed in to Skokie, seeing the fronded fern marks on the slope down the pass and the shadows of the scars on the morning snow's fresh face, knows that a skier flushed that powder, and yet when they reach the base of the pass, no tracks lead off and down the valley. Paley, they say, as they always say, meant to explain it all. Paley, you know the name. Most do without being told a fact which may say more of him than all the other careless folklore may be the fact which turned a fate for him. Too good a name for living with, perhaps the best of names for dying with, perhaps a ghost before he chose this place for dying in, to die into a life, to live as ghost. Not that I believe it. Some people haunt more in their deaths and dying than lives and living, and Paley willed to die into the lives of others, if I'm correct. I've thought about him now too long, and what you hear is intermingled with my own muck, and as usual I do not tell the story as it deserves. The end should be suspended, not tossed out like bait, but beginning and ending are parts of the same. I don't know where the story ends or where it starts. Beginning maybe end, and end beginning. He would have liked that. He was a mathematician, you know, although here he almost never talked of math, rare as he spoke of anything, nor would you think he would. He said once, the only words he spoke I hear as clear as he uttered them, getting from one to two is easy, the problem is getting from zero to one. Beyond that, it was politeness, a cursory, hello, but for the most part, nothing. I never knew a man more ill-equipped for what a week of skiing the high country is, and never knew a man more well-equipped for loneliness. If a man wants solitude, provide him space, I say, but none of us gave him the space he needed. He always skied alone. Hush and listen. The wind is morning, the candles burn brighter in the silence, and the shadows flare deeper. There are other things to talk about. Why I should go this April with you, I cannot tell. I've skied to Skokie often enough, and it's better to remember than attempt to recall by redoing and deceiving. No, making a fool of yourself. It's for you who are younger but this is my last trip to Skokie. One of you should talk. You should have things to talk about. But your silence insists. What? That the story be told? Skokie. Strange name for a valley of shadow. The word hangs low in the mouth, echoes upon itself before it's done. Skokie. Apropos, 
in some ways, for a place that people feel is hoodooed. I've tried to find out what it means, and every answer is confused. A marshy place, a young man, the end of a rough place, that last fits far too well once you've crossed Deception Pass and the cornices like a gate, standing guard to watch old fools and young deceive themselves. Where do we sit now as we sit and talk? The halfway hut. It becomes too clear, too well established. Only a fatalist would carve intentions from the nicknames we carelessly applied. More recent talk. Poltergeists and other mysteries of halfway. People talk too much of hauntings, chairs falling over in the midnight darkness, doors swinging ajar, things like that. Or arriving at midday in light snow, no tracks to or from the hut. Met by the aroma of fresh-brewed coffee, finding the pot on the back of the stove, and no one here. Again, a candle, blazing like a beacon in the window, guiding a man in at dusk. He finds he is alone, the candle out the room, dark and cold. But the candle, when he finds it, soft. Enough of these stories to make a man want to believe. But I don't. Not for more than a moment. In a land as big as this, as lonely as this land is, the mind has ample time and space to conjure many things, and the wanderings of the mind can make unusual the most ordinary things. The same threat of imagination, in a gaunt and stretching land, afflicted Paley, if I'm correct, and the haunts of the land were here before he chose to die. Chose to die. Too fast, perhaps. Perhaps the land itself chose him to die. Kit Paley. Short for Raymond Edward Allen Christopher, his mother's Kit. Not that in our regard, our estimation, esteem, our failure, he ever earned so affectionate a nickname. Image, can you see him? Pale, sepulchral in countenance, a wan-eyed intellectual, Appropriate and wrong. Robust, rather, and heavy, over two hundred pounds and burly like a big dog, hefting easily two duffel bags, and skis as well, apart from his eyes, a clear and glacier blue until his snow blindness, which held his secrets till they seized completion. That way of seeing things mystics, poets, wizards have. He was so much an English schoolboy and would have been until he died had he lived to eighty, someone has said. Thirty-five years ago. I was nineteen and had the stamina to break the path and lead the group the whole way if need be, and today I held you back my pausing to regain breath. In the past... Always we reached halfway before the sun was even close to going down. Today we arrived in shade, the night wind coming up, and now it is dying. I'm reminded of another group who spent 
the night here? Should I go on? After all, we all must spend the night here ourselves. With time enough, they thought, to reach the lodge, a party set out for Skokie from Lake Louise were crossing Ptarmigan about to begin the ascent of deception when the wind came up and the whirling snow devils closed in a white-out world of streaked madness devoid of landmark. The bright burn of the sun extinguished in cloud scud, and they found themselves three times at their own tracks in the spiraling bewilderment of being lost. Three times were they led in circles. Led, for that was the word the man who told me used. He knew it was Paley led them around, refusing to let them cross the pass. And so they turned back to spend the night here. What is a number that it may be known by man? What is man that he may know a number not just a mathematician, a genius. When he was just a child, he found the answers for the toughest problem set for him, said he did it by his mind, standing on tiptoes to reach the answers. It may be what isolated him here, his head lost in theorems, proofs, his mind extended for new equations here, here where winter cares nothing of math, and the only matter to decipher is the turn of a slope. So he skied alone, forsaking warnings, heedings, his head taking him forward toward the loneliness of pure things, the purity of loneliness, the purity of one, the snow falling in white veils around him. He was young, then, as now, for early death, assures our youth. Had skied in Switzerland, an Englishman which adds nothing, looking for a proof of himself when the shored snow on Fossil Mountain fell, carrying him over a cliff, closing on him below. A surface, and beneath the surface, much the same in men, and other matters. Under the call of fossil, the wind-hardened snow hid the scree beneath the crust in the graying down to blackness. The snow was decomposing, sifting at the lowest level into the talus, while the wind and sun at play on the surface smoothed and hardened it to verglas. A change in temperature and in the strata of the snow, the bind begins to fail, yields no signal of unstable equilibrium that the slab's about to slip at one brief metamorphosis and flow toward the valley. Enough of this elaboration. It is getting late. They were a party from the eastern states, some twelve or fourteen of them. Bailey joined them to cut down costs, didn't know them otherwise. Soon after we arrived, the weather sank in low for several days, most ventures from the lodge we toured. Then it broke cold and clear, and as a group we set off for the Grindelwald for a day of the long ecstasy of the deepest powder, half the morning spent in ascent with skins on the diamond granulation, cheeks redding to rose in the brisk air, a pause for breath to regard that all-white world of snow and snowy mountain slope to find our ways, and then 
Off, down and descending in the long, gentle snow-spraying, wind-chafing, turns in the wind-fluming powder in pleasure so warming and deepening in the glisten and light of bright frost and air nipping in the rush for breath, each of us finding his way his own way, writing signatures in Schuster's Galandisprung's Christie's upon the fresh slopes that for all evidence were never skied before, were discovered by us and now explored in our wonder and those who had never skied powder left their marks in the softest of snowplows exclaimed by bathtubs and then exhilarated flushed and breathing deeply through the glow of noses and laughter and the slurps of tea came the cry we looked to who shouted who's that and followed the line of his arm and up to the right of where we had skied saw paley till then truth to say none of us missed him. Ascending toward a steep and slide-prone slope, we all made signs, go back, go back, and he stopped and saw us. No one would shout. He turned and seemed to understand our signs, and then, unsteadying, he slipped, and then he fell over and over and over, first slowly, but slowly gaining momentum until he was brought short on an outcropping. He got up slowly, favoring one leg, and moved hesitantly back to the safer slope. When he was back with us, shaken and shamed, tempers had thinned, and we told him brusquely of carelessness, killing us all, one man's carelessness, which he seemed to understand. The next few days he spent near Lodge, a note of surliness and sadness about his reddened eyes. The sky grayed down, the wind began to blow again, and the wine it has, where it is the only sound. Be silent for a moment now, and you'll hear winter speak in wind. For two days, snow falling, and a foot of fresh, and Paley's eyes lost their blood redness, and in the grayness of those days he said next to nothing. The whiteness of the third day, the sheet-clean slopes, broke in the brilliance of the sun. Soon after dawn we were up and away, for the day of writing our names anew on the alpine whiteness, the stealth of the snow went unnoticed and the purity of its freshness. Between the bone-white cornices on deception, there fluttered extrusions against the wind. They saw the tracks beside the ridge and on up to the saddle and beyond to the slope of fossil. They were going out to meet others, bringing in supplies, but decided to follow and find the skier who had gone out alone. the serrated snow they knew. The snow had gathered all its reserved weight and strength and broke. In following the tracks, saw where they entered space and disappeared close to the top where the slab had found its freedom. Looked 
below to where it flowed, saw the snow boulders immense and the fortified snow broken into man-high slabs and skied down to Baker to find what they could. The bright sun of the early afternoon cast shadows in strong relief and the hardness of the dry wind-packed rubble impeded their efforts. They found nothing. It was cold, clear and cold, and while the sun fell toward the west, the slopes golding in the failing light, it grew colder and colder, and in somberness they gave up search and returned to the lodge in the clear, dark, cold night of the mountains, with the stars alive and twinkling overhead. We found him the next day. But if you will bear with me, the evening is late. Even now one candle has flickered dead, and the room is failing into darkness. I should like to try to find my way into the last few formidable moments of his endurance. In speculation, and here we all fail. In his mind's blindness, in the quim of the mountain, in the page of fresh snow, in his ascending, for he was climbing even as the slab began to break and crumble, in the configuration he became, in his becoming, snow-blind or mind-dazzled by the white fire of fir-glass in sun-brilliance, in his engulfment, in everything, in life, in breathing, skiing, climbing, in finding answers, in dying, even in his breath, failing as he was sucked under, he became, became for the first time. Before, he was nothing. Genius, yes, but he had earned his becoming. He felt the tremor of his heart in the drumbeat of his skis, in the firm yet hollow snow, in the instant of its freedom. He went alone, skiing or not, and in being that solitary black figure on a white ground, falling, carried over cliff, his body breaking in the fall, his skin still on his broken skis, lying dead on his broken back, his poles still on his wrists, his blue eyes staring open. He became himself, his life. It has been too long since it has been told as I felt it should be. There's one last incident bringing his body out, lashed to a toboggan in solemnity, their solemnity worn thin by their work and the weight of the corpse. One of the men fell off the pack snow to find himself floundering chest deep in powder. To extricate himself, the only way was by the body. And as he struggling reached his hand to Paley's arm, 
the lifeless hand reached out and grasped. In the morning, I'll show you where it happened. You have been listening to John White reading his epic poem, Paley, which is based on an historical character who died in the Canadian Rockies in 1933. Paley was published in three, the work of John White, Charles Noble, and J. O. Thompson. The missing sections of this poem have been read by me, Carol Harmon. This series, like all our programs, becomes podcasts at writersradio.ca after the broadcast dates. In the About section of the website is a bio of John, a reading list, and the full recording for radio of Minas Niwapta, Voices of the River. Some of John's work may be found online and through the library system, thank goodness for libraries. The John White Fonds are housed in the archives of the White Museum of the Canadian Rockies in Banff. My thanks to Brian Patton and the White Museum of the Canadian Rockies for assistance with this series. Hats off to my fellow producers Ingrid Rose and Gary Sill. And thanks to you, dear listener. If you liked this program, please spread the word. You have been listening to Writers Radio, a non-commercial collaborative project which presents talented writers reading their own work. These stories, essays and conversations revisit the long tradition of oral storytelling that connects us to the inspiration behind the words. Be sure to check the website writersradio.ca to subscribe to our free notifications list. It's also a way of letting the writers know you are there and appreciating their creative work. Writers Radio broadcasts from Half Moon Bay on the Sunshine Coast in Canada. Traditional tribal land of the Shishal Nation of the Coast Salish peoples. We express our gratitude for their wisdom teachings and land stewardship. Thank you.